Welcome to another edition of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, as always. We, uh, let's see, we did show, Monday was recorded, we did a live show yesterday, and this is our last show for the week. Of course, tune in Friday at 12.30 for the lab report with me and Mr. Cannabis Law. The reason I say that is who knows which version of Mr. Cannabis Law will show up on Friday. Is it Dustin? Is it Steven? You're going to have to tune in to find out. Um, Folks, we've got some great panels coming up, especially on one that's going to be very important to everybody, banking in cannabis. If you're a cannabis company, you probably have a wishy-washy relationship with your bank, or you should have a good relationship with your bank at this point, but there are a chance you might have gotten kicked out of a few of them. We're going to be talking to the people who are banking this industry. We're going to talk about some of the reform that needs to happen. It's a panel you're not going to want to miss. Go to joinclab.com, check that out, register for our next upcoming panel, and also subscribe to our newsletter so this way you can see all the stuff that we have going on. And of course, every single episode of Elevate Your Grind, because I know that you can't get enough of it. If you want to check out the entire library, go to youtube.com slash elevateyourgrind. It's all there, and hit that subscribe button. Don't just go there and watch our videos. Subscribe. Help us out a little, will you? All right. So... I don't have to do the long introductions that I've been doing. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more recorded content alongside of our live content. So check that out on Tuesdays every week on our YouTube page. That's when all the new recorded content is going to come out. And of course, our live episodes will be there about two weeks after they premiere right here on Facebook. Huh, maybe I lied about doing all the long introductions. Well, about a month, maybe two months ago, we had uh, Todd Green and Toby Liebowitz on here from Juicy Holdings to talk about their most recent Q1 performance and really their story about how they got into it. Loved hearing about Juicy because they are right here in my backyard in South Florida. Although they don't operate as a cannabis company down here, this is where their headquarter is. This is where their talent is. And just like my guest today, he sits down here as well. I think he does. Actually, I probably should have confirmed that before I mentioned it. But they're back here again today to talk about their Q2, and we have a new member of the team that's going to share their story. I'm really liking this series. Every time they have an earnings call, we get to meet a new member, we get to get the backstory, and we get to check in with them to see how they're doing. So if this is going to become a regular thing for Juicy, I'm all about it. So today, please welcome my guest, the Executive Vice President of Investor Relations and Treasury, Michael Perlman. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, please. The pleasure is mine. We love having repeat guests. And of course, you know, I love seeing the awesome backgrounds that Jushi brings to the table every single time. Yeah, this is actually our background. Uh, this, the background is Ardmore, Pennsylvania. It's one of our newer stores that we just opened up uh, at the earlier part of June. Uh, it was our seventh location in Pennsylvania. That beautiful store, downtown location, Ardmore, great community. Very, very cool. I want to get into all the success that you guys have been having, the, the activity that's been going on, but we want to learn about you. So you are more recent to Jushi. You, you joined, I believe, in January, February timeframe, and yeah. uh, you know, then the world shut down. So how has your transition been to Juicy? What brought you into the cannabis space? I know that you've kind of had similar roles in, in the past, and you actually came from the energy sector, I believe. So what brought yeah. you into our lovely neck of the woods here? Yeah, sure. So um, going back through my career, I spent about 10 years in the office supply uh, industry, uh, working at Office Depot corporate in Boca Raton. Uh, that experience I was with in multiple disciplines within that business, but essentially a lot of what I do today. Uh, the office supply industry is a, I would say, it's very challenging for the three main office supply players. Uh, I thought there would be you know, better opportunities to pursue outside the office supply industry. 
Uh, so I actually moved into the aerospace industry and I spent the last probably, I would say, about seven years over in that industry working in uh, cabin interiors manufacturing, aerospace parts distribution. The company I worked for actually it was actually the same company I worked for, but had done multiple spinoffs over the number over about five or six years. Uh, most recently into um, a energy company, which I had meant, uh, which you had mentioned just earlier. And that company was based in South Florida and there's not too many energy companies in South Florida. So I knew the writing was on the wall that that company wasn't either is going to be sold or something was going to happen uh, where my job would be at risk. Uh, so I decided to be proactive, get in front of it, uh, to start looking for opportunities. One of my colleagues who you actually had on your panel just a month or two ago uh, had made the move from uh, one of the companies we were actually working with together into Jushi. Uh, I, knew, no, I knew that she moved down there, uh, didn't actually reach out to her. The, uh, independently, uh, some, a recruiter reached out to me for a position similar to what I was doing at the, uh, that energy company and uh, decided to uh, learn a bit more about the space. It was a brand new for me, so I spent a lot of time just doing due diligence on the company and uh, liked what I read and then ultimately interviewed with them and uh, they have a fantastic management team, you know, wide experiences in multiple different industries. And uh, we're on the process of starting something very special and we were early innings. So I thought being part of going from a, like large corporations to a smaller kind of upstart uh, would be interesting uh, in a different uh, sort of uh, different, you know, different way of rounding out my career experience. Uh, I think you picked the right industry because what I love about this industry is how it is, you know, it's new and we all kind of start at the same level, right? You know, people will say they have X amount of years of experience, but in reality, most people have 10 that they can talk about yeah, at best. Right. And even still, things have changed so much over those 10 years that the experience you had 10 years ago doesn't really apply to what you see today. What I've seen from Jushi, I mean, as far as companies go and the way they're structured and they're growing... I always thought, and, and it's easy for me to say it now because I've been, been validated, that companies that were going to expand the way that you have were going to be the ones that were going to be the household names in the future, right? And I, I hate ragging on the initial guys out the door, but they grew very big, very fast. A company like yours, you kind of are very strategic about the way that you approach each market. You're not going after a market like our backyard, Florida, because the opportunity cost may not be there. Um, exactly. You know, talk to us a little bit about the strategy strategy that you've seen since coming into Juicy, because I know there's been a lot of activity just in the last six months alone. And let's be honest, there should be because there are a lot of people who aren't doing who aren't doing well that could use the rescue, if you will. Right. No, our, our strategy is what's uh, what what what's been so attractive to me in terms of how we sort of look at allocating capital is that we're very, very focused. We have three core markets in which we're focused on. You know, we're not trying to go, you know, a mile wide, an inch deep. We're going, trying to go into a specific market and go very deep into that specific market. So we've identified a few key markets in which we could have, you know, a significant market share. And those were Pennsylvania, Virginia. So what we've done is align our assets, deploy our capital, for those specific markets and uh, we've done extremely well and the results you know speak for themselves over the last couple quarters but uh you know you mentioned on the onset of the call was you know you, you've talked to someone from juicy each quarter 
So most recently for our second quarter as compared to our first quarter, we've seen sequential revenue growth above 70%. We're seeing our profitability improve greatly quarter over quarter over quarter. We're seeing our organic growth in each of our business grow quite significantly month over month over month. So the business is doing extremely well because we are very, very focused on specific markets and markets where they are the, the best medical markets in the country, you can arguably say with, with Pennsylvania, or the best adult use market in the, in, the, in the country with Illinois. So these are markets continue to expand. We've seen patient counts ex continue to increase. We've seen demand continue to increase in these adult use markets. So I think I, it's been, it, what we've been able to accomplish over the last you know, six to eight months is that we've been very fortunate that we're in markets that have been deemed essential, that have been deemed life-sustaining, and that while other businesses have felt a lot of pain because of what's going on in the world today, you know, we've been able to flourish, we've been able to kind of persevere through it, given the type of product that we offer, but the fact that we have remained open, all of our locations have remained open over this period of time. So it's been, it's been an exciting, you know, I started since January, essentially a month in, essentially hit, and the business sort of had to figure out exactly how to operate in this new type of environment. Uh, so we've been able to accomplish that. And we've been able to find a way to serve our customers in a different way where it sort of limits the amount of person-to-person -person contact. And we've, one, of the big, one of the big ways we've been able to accomplish that is through our new relaunched beyondhello.com website, which provides folks real-time access to inventory, real-time access to menus, and the ability to essentially choose their product, do their, all their browsing online, and then go to one of our stores in Pennsylvania or Illinois currently, and then get in and out as quickly as possible. So by accomplishing this, we find ways to interact for customers to engage with us in a very safe manner. Um, what, what, what I've talked about in other calls is what's so interesting about the business and how we've been able to be so successful over this number, number of months through the COVID period. But what's interesting is that you know, we're, we've been able to do this while having to you know, be in compliance with all the CDC guidelines, you know, limiting the amount of people in store, operating every other point of sale system, ca every cash register. You know, we've, so we've, we're seeing this month over month, quarter over quarter improved performance, but we're doing so with essentially one hand tied behind our back. So it's going to yeah. be interesting to see, you know, when COVID gets behind us at some point in the future, that you'll, you'll see just upward uh, momentum in our business, just the fact that we're gonna be able to service the demand that we're not able to service today. So it's, it's kind of exciting to know that going into, as, you know, not only we're expanding our store base uh, you know, significantly over the next number of uh, months, we're going from 10 currently to expect to go to maybe up to 30 uh, in the next 12 to, uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, but we're also being, we have a lot of pent up demand within the existing operations that we're going to be able to take, take advantage of in the near future as well. Well, it's always nice to have customers before you open up those locations. I mean, that, that's what every business wants. I imagine it's a little bit, you know, I don't want to say harder from an overall business standpoint, but just from a personal standpoint, it's a little bit harder to do your jobs now considering you guys are down here in Boca. The stores are not in Boca. I'm sure prior to COVID, the people within your, the walls of your office were not, you know, they, they were probably all road warriors and used to being on the road mm -hmm. and going where they needed to be. 
that can't happen now. You know, how much of a challenge has it been having to truly, you know, navigate the ship from down here in Florida, not being in the same geography as the stores? Yeah, it's a great question. What's interesting, I have found personally, um, and uh, with my job, yes, there's, you're, you should be on the road, you're t attending these investor conferences, you're meeting people face to face. Uh, that is a great portion of what I do. What's also interesting is I'm also, I, I field a lot of phone calls, both inward, uh, inbound and also outbound from my desk. What's changed over the last number of months is that we do so many more of these Zoom calls. So I'm actually more, probably more face-to-face -face over these phone calls than I ever have been over, the, over my entire career. You know, the, the, with this new technology, also my team, at a moment's notice, I can pull them into my office on Zoom. It's That's just, nice. so I think, you know, from an organization perspective, I think we're, we're that much more engaged than we were before without having, you know, with, the, with just being in the same office, you don't, you're not actually walking downstairs, you don't see somebody, could be for a couple of days. I see everybody every day on my computer. So, I mean, we'll, we'll be on, I'll be on Teams or Zoom or whatever uh, with my team for hours a day. Just everybody's doing their own thing, but we're, we're constantly engaged. And I have people uh, in Boca as well as New York, um, down south in Coral Springs, yet I can pull them into my home at a moment's notice, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we, we do everything over Zoom uh, across, the, uh, um, across the whole entire company, folks that are all spread around the U.S. But I think the level of engagement actually has improved since COVID. That, that's awesome. And you know, my day job as a technology consultant, I felt like you were giving my pitch there for a second. And that's, you know, it's funny, I, I think that this is a way that businesses were always going to go. And people tend to be more open now that they are stuck at home to these video conferences, which has been nice. So I can see how you guys have been accomplishing so much more. Um, you know, you had mentioned that most of your job is spent going to investor conferences and meeting with investors. You know, I know that a lot of this is confidential. How much can you tell us about the type of people that are looking at this industry now? Is it family offices? Is it private investors? Is it other business owners? I know, you know, on paper, institutional capital really can't come into the space yet. Mm -hmm. But are we starting to see, I don't want to say from real investors, but are we starting to see more attention from more traditional investors that are a little bit more risk adverse? You know, let's yeah. call them people that are more concerned about protecting their wealth than exponentially increasing it? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I would say that, uh, yeah, typically what you've seen in a lot of these investor conference is these, you know, I would say uh, ultra high wealth uh, individuals, family offices, um, smaller, smaller shops uh, have expressed interest and have been essentially the first folks into this space. Uh, there's been a number of retail folks, of course, as well. Uh, what's interesting over the last few months is that, that, that the list of folks that you'd probably talk to is expanding. And I think it's an anticipation of potentially federal legalization of some sort over the coming months, if yeah. not years. And I think folks are starting to sort of ramp up on the space, understand who are the players they need to be looking when the time is right and for them to, for them to quickly engage. So for our, our job is to understand who those guys are, start having those, you know, those preliminary conversations with them, get them up to speed on the juicy name very, you know, so they have 
at least a base of knowledge so when they're able to participate in this industry, they, you know, Jushi is one of the top three names that they're looking at. So that's our job. So there's a lot of work up front for us to do to identify who these folks are who are, will have an appetite for this industry. And that's what we're in the process of doing. Uh, we're also to, uh, in the process of generating additional sell side coverage uh, within this. So one of the cool things about operating, you know, working at a smaller company, you're, you're starting everything essentially from scratch. You're starting, you're building, you're building a department. You're essentially developing relationships. Uh, so we're in, the, we're in the early innings of developing these uh, relationships with the banks, the sell side community. And um, it, it's fun. It's, it's, you're, you're telling the story. You're getting people excited about Jushi, where we're going. And at this point in our, in our sort of our growth trajectory, you know, we have a really compelling story to talk about. Maybe, you know, six months ago when the, when the company was pre-operational, it was a much challenging story because it was all, you know, it was out there. Uh, but, you know, we weren't showing tangible financial operational results. Now we're doing that. We've had multiple consecutive uh, quarters where you're seeing increase in activity, improved profitability, all that's happening. So it's a great story to tell right now. Uh, so that's what we're doing. We're getting in front of folks, uh, making sure that uh, they, they know about Jushi, hear about Jushi, and that uh, with and when, if they're not already participating in the cannabis space, when they start doing that, you know, Jushi is going to be on top of the list. So I think you're one of the few people in the world that can kind of look at the health of your company and understand how hard your job is going to be for the next quarter. Just look at, look at the last round of finances and be like, all right, well, th this quarter is going to be a little bit easier for me. And luckily it's been that way, but I yeah. imagine you look at that report and can, can tell that. Investor relations is unique that way. It's the, it could be the greatest job in the world or it could be the worst job in the world, depending on how the company is performing. And when you have a great story to tell, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome to go out there and get people excited about where the company is going, the fact that we're hitting our goals, we have these lofty plans, we expect to achieve them. But yeah, it goes, and I've been on the office where I've worked for companies where you know you have down quarters. You know, when I was in oil field services and oil went from you know, 70 to $100 per barrel down to into the 20s, that was tough. I mean, when you have people calling you when they have their their wealth tied up into the company and you have to explain to them why the company is down 50% or that's never a good position to be in. So uh, like you said, I mean, yeah, it, it, it can be the greatest job or it could be the worst job very quickly. So right now we're, we're at Juicy, we're enjoying the upswing. That, that's awesome. I actually know a little bit about that. I won't go into too much detail, but I spent a little bit of time in IR and I was working for a fund and when I had started, the fund was down single digits, which was okay, but the rest of the market was up double digits. And then my manager comes to me and says, why is nobody investing? I, I can't tell you because you're going to get mad at me. That's there are why. better places to put your money. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're always competing. So, yeah. You're always competing. And you, so I'm going to say you have a whole lot more grit than I do to go through those downtimes. I, I went back into the technology world, but clearly you've done very well for yourself and, and you've got a great reputation and you're doing good things at, at Jushi. You know, your colleagues speak very highly of you. Um, your colleague who was on the show, I reached out to try to get some dirt on you. And she said, he's a genuinely nice guy. He's one of those people <laughs> you want to work with. So, you know, I appreciate that. No, it's, it's awesome, a great, man. it's a great group of individuals I get to work with every day. So um, I feel pretty blessed about that. 
You know, it's a great industry to be in because I think everybody who's here is just passionate and they want to be here and they love what they do every day. So I think that's something that we're all lucky to have, you know, transitioning back to Jushi as a company, I know that you guys are, are expanding. And, and for me as an outsider looking in, it, it's interesting to see how you guys operate because you kind of operate as an investment fund and, a, and an operating company all in one, right? The way that you guys mm -hmm. expand is almost the way that the big tech companies expand. And I don't think a lot of people realize this. When you look at the R&D budgets for companies like Microsoft and Google, a lot of that comes from the form of venture capital, investing in small companies to kind of test the water and then they'll acquire them. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what you guys are doing, but I see a similar style to the way that you guys expand where you, know, you, you make a little bit of a light investment and then, you know, if it works out, you go further into it. Am I on the right path? And is that kind of how you guys are operating? Yeah, that, that has been our strategy. You know, we, we've had a retail first, but not retail only strategy. And that allows us to be efficient with our capital deployment. Uh, entering a market and getting, buying a store, getting in with on the retail side will cost you in the, you know, it could be the single digit million. If you wanted to buy a grower processor, that could be, 20, 30, 40, 50 million. So our, our strategy was always to get into a market first, first retail, and then ultimately kind of vertically integrate through the supply chain. So to be able to support our retail, retail network. That's what we've done recently in Pennsylvania with that recent acquisition that we just uh, completed earlier in August, where we essentially, we have in Pennsylvania, a network of stores of 15, eight of which are operational. The market is very supply constrained right now. So you have to be you know, you have to be very um, efficient in terms of working with suppliers and making sure that you have the necessary supply to stock your shelf. We've been successful doing that. We have the balance sheet to support it. We've ultimately, in some cases, prepaid for inventory. We make sure that we're a good counterparty and that we pay on time. And we've been able to do that and we've been able to make sure our shelves are stocked. And that's why you see our results in terms of the revenue growth in the business. But this acquisition that we just made in Pennsylvania shores up the supply chain. So now we can supply our own stores. We're not dependent on third parties to ensure that we have the necessary supplies for our shelves. Uh, so it's a big deal. So we're vertically integrated and probably one of the best medical markets in the country. A market that has a, you know, we're cautiously optimistic, but there's potential. The governors have been out there talking about potentially going from medical to adult use at some point in the future. That would be a huge win for Jushi, given our concentrated portfolio in Pennsylvania. So we're excited to hear that the governor is, in, uh, you know, is, a, is a huge uh, proponent of it. Um, we're excited the fact that you know, over 60% of the Pennsylvania population believes that the state should go from medical to adult use. So we, we, we're, we're in a market that we want to be in uh, for future growth. And that's not even included in our guidance. You know, in terms of going from medical to adult use, I mean that's complete upside to what we've uh, what we've talked to, and uh, you can see what's happened in Illinois, in that market when they flipped the switch to go from medical to adult use on January 1st, 2020, volumes nearly in that market. So anybody in that market that was participating in the market has done extremely well. We see a very similar opportunity in Pennsylvania. That's awesome. And I was actually going to ask you about the adult use market in Illinois, but you, you went there already. Um, but, you know, looking at your, is, is Illinois the only market that you guys in that, that is not the right way to ask that question. Is Illinois the only market that you guys participate in that is adult use? Is that going to be your model for adult use going forward for the most part? As of as today, yes. 
Yeah, so as of today, yes, we are actually, so we have our two uh, medical and adult use stores in Illinois. We're adding two additional adult use stores by end of year, so we'll be operating four adult use stores in Illinois. Uh, we are going to be oper opening up a store in Santa Barbara, California uh, yeah. at the end of the month, maybe, maybe it, it squeaks into the first week of October, uh, but that will be the, essentially our second adult use market uh, from a retail perspective. Uh, we currently have a cultivation extraction assets in Nevada. Nevada, of course, is adult use. Uh, but uh, that's the main, those are our core assets from an adult use perspective. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great market, particularly if we think Illinois is one of the best adult use markets in the country. Illinois, uh, from, from a, uh, a state perspective, has been very good about giving visibility into how the, how the state is performing month over month over month from an overall adult use volume. And uh, I mean, we're talking double digit percentage gains month over month in that market, exception January 1st. And we participated in that. I mean, for us, our, our sales on an organic basis, Q2 versus Q1, up over 30, 300%. So a lot of it's that, that transition to, to adult use, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big number. Well, see, the thing I love about your strategy is it allows you guys, allow, I'm really not speaking well today. It allows Jushi to increase your profit margins the longer that you're in each market and take a, I don't want to say, I hate saying a bigger piece of the pie, but there's nothing wrong with capitalism, folks. That's the name of the game, right? So as you're there, you start with retail, you figure out, you get that profitable, and then you're going to go vertically integrated, which lowers your costs. You're going to make more profit that way. And then all of a sudden you go to adult use and your sales or your, your, total addressable market increases, which is why I love the strategy of what you guys are doing. You know, there's a lot of arguments in this industry about Wall Street guys coming in and taking over, but I think what you're doing is a perfect example of business acumen and cannabis people working together for the greater good of this industry, right? Because it takes a company like you to show the traditional cannabis people hey, this is how you grow a business by bootstrapping it. And this is how you're going to be profitable. Because if you're not doing that, you're not going to be around anyway. And then in turn, the cannabis people, I'm sure, are walking you guys through the grows and the processes and the SOPs and everything that comes from that world. I look at your company right now from the outside and see that's a model that cannabis companies should follow going forward. Um, I mean, I, I know it's hard to ask you to comment on that, but I'm sure that you've seen other models and this one seems to be working. Yeah, no, there, there have been plenty of, um, I guess, case studies or companies, public companies that unfortunately uh, went, um, I guess, took, the, took a path that uh, did not work out for them in the end. And uh, we had talked about just spreading, spreading yourself too thin, not having potentially the corporate governance, risk management, um, capital discipline in, in place from a management perspective. Uh, to ensure that the company is successful. And I think that was one of the things that Jushi focused on early is management, quality of management, making sure people are sitting in their seats ahead of the growth. So we're not sort of playing catch up as the company is growing. Um, and that's actually one of the, it's interesting, it's actually one of the, and only one of the knocks on Jushi is that we are so built out from a personnel perspective uh, in, in, in anticipation or in front of the growth. And we think it's actually mission critical infrastructure that we have in place to ensure that we don't, we don't follow some of these other companies that unfortunately, you know, didn't do it the right way. So we're having we're, all the infrastructures in place up front before the growth. 
So we have significant leverage off this existing corporate structure that we have in place. So we're not going to require to make material investments to our corporate structure as we expand from like eight stores to 15 in Pennsylvania, as we build out the grower processor, as we go from two stores to four stores in Illinois, as we build out our Virginia operations to up to six stores over there and add assets in California. So the, the infrastructure that we have in place will help us grow and make sure that we don't you know, fall into some of the traps that some of these companies have been. So we've taken a different approach to how to build a business, how to build a successful business. And that was what I, what I found so attractive about it, the company as I did my due diligence up front is how they, how they, how they, they were such disciplined capital operators and they took such a risk averse approach to building out a business in a very highly regulated market. And the market in every state is so different from the other. So you have to have you have to be well-versed and you have to have the right people in the seats to actually accomplish that and do it successfully. Well, I imagine, you know, you kind of have to approach each market slightly different, right? Depending on the rules and regulations, mm -hmm. the demographics of that market from marketing. So as you guys expand into each different market, I, I almost get the feeling like it's, it's getting another startup going, right? And it's almost like a roller coaster ride with Jushi. You look, you look in your rear view and you see this nicely structured company with the people in the right seats on the bus and everything's going and humming. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're going to another market. And then all of a sudden it must be like, all right, now we got to build another plane while we're flying. You know, you've, I know that you guys have done a very good job making sure most of that plane is built before you take off. But at some point, it's just building another startup within another market. You know, is that how it feels as you guys expand either markets or stores or even when it goes from medical to adult use? Yeah, I think you have a lot of folks within the company that are pulling double, if not triple duty across multiple disciplines throughout their, what they do. So we have people that are technically their job function is this, but all of a sudden they be pulled into a different direction because it's, this is where we're going or this is where... The, the requirements are. You see a lot of that going on. I think throughout the company, you're, you're asked to do things that are outside your comfort zone just because they need to be done. And um, I mean, that's, I think that's what's so special about act, uh, you know, building a startup, standing up a business from scratch, putting the necessary processes in place uh, because it, it changes every single day. The, 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 job, the job changes every single day. So you know, I think we're excited um, about the, the existing markets that we're in. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a few development markets that we're looking at that we're sort of taking a, 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 you know, dipping our toe in and we plan on expanding. We have a lot in front of us in terms of just the three markets that we're operating in today, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. There's a lot of work to do. We have plenty to go around, but, you know, we'll be opportunistic and take advantage of other markets when, you know, the economics are right, uh, you know, working with the right partners. That's the background of our management team. They, have, they, they, they did extremely well for themselves working in distress and identifying distressed assets, executing, those executing on those acquisitions and building companies from scratch. Uh, so that's our management team's background. So they're well prepared for this type of environment that we're working in where you have multiple distressed markets across the U.S., finding those assets. And ensuring that we, you know, we've already done this, but we, we have a balance sheet to support growth and to find opportunistically and execute on some of these acquisitions. Well, I imagine as we go further into this year and beyond, you know, there was always speculation that this year was going to be the year of M&A in the cannabis space. And I think COVID only accelerated that. I imagine 
that if not already, you know, coming up soon, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you guys to expand your footprint, unfortunately, with those distressed assets. But at the end of the day, you're also coming in and rescuing those folks. So it's not a bad thing, right? We look at, at Wall Street, look at M&A and acquisitions, and people think it's bad. Those, those folks are going to go out of business, right? You guys are coming in and helping turn their business around or at least spend a little bit of cash in their pocket. But I imagine that going forward that there's going to be a lot of opportunities that you guys are probably excited about for, for this year, if not early next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, the, the, outside of the three core markets that we have within one of those core markets, Illinois, we love the opportunity to go vertically integrated in that state. Um, so right now we operate only retail in, in, in Illinois currently. Uh, so right now, that market is doing so, so well that it's very expensive to vertically integrate. But you know, if the economics are right, if a partner is right in Illinois, we'd love the opportunity to be able to go vertical in one of the best adult use markets in the country. Um, you know, we'll, we'll look at other markets like a California, quite distressed. Uh, we'll look at markets like Nevada, once again, because of COVID, the, that market depends so greatly on tourism. They essentially locked down the retail assets for a while. So a lot of folks were feeling a lot of pain. Uh, so there might be opportunities there. You know, so uh, our, our management team, we actually have a whole originations team built within Jushi. That's their 100% of their job is focused on finding assets, the right assets and the right markets and finding out, figure out the best way to, you know, make a deal. And uh, that's their core responsibility. And that's why we've been able to make some pretty good deals um, most recently. And we expect to be able to uh, find a few more, you know, in the coming months. Who knows? That's awesome. I, um, I want to ask you, and it's like picking your favorite kid, so it's never a good idea. But what, what market, and I'm going to make a guess, are you most excited about where you guys are participating? And I'm just going to go ahead and guess it's Illinois because you keep going back and talking about it. You know, Illinois, you know, Illinois is a great market um, and um, we love it. It's actually, you know, a couple of our best performing stores in Illinois, of course, because it's adult use. Uh, but I think, you know, what, what's exciting is potentially, you know, Virginia, which we haven't spent a whole lot of time on. And the reason why we're excited about Virginia is because it is a super limited licensed market where they essentially carved it up into five health service areas. And what we have, we have ownership, we bought majority ownership of Health Service Area 2, which is in the northeastern part of Virginia. And what makes that, that region so special is that it's the smallest, most densely populated region in the state, but also has the highest per capita income in the state as well. So you have like Arlington, your Fairfax, Tyson's Corner, right across from the Potomac. It's home of Amazon's HQ2. Apple dropped their first retail store ever in that area. So essentially how they divvied the state up is that Jushi is the only one that can open retail assets in that specific area. No one else can. So to have essentially exclusive rights to a specific area that holds about two and a half million people is just, it's just an amazing opportunity to think about. Uh, so we have the option of opening retail assets. We're going to do up to up to six, including the one in the in the vertically integrated facility. So everybody within the state has to be vertically integrated. Uh, so we think, while early, Virginia has so much potential. We look at it as like a Florida. You know, Florida was a limited license mark with four or five initially. You know, what uh, some of our peers have been able to accomplish in Florida has been absolutely amazing. So we think of Virginia as the, as the next step. It's even more limited in terms, of, in terms of where you can actually locate your stores. But 
you know, think, think, you know, not, not a 2020 contributor, but a 2021 contributor and a 2022 contributor, we think Virginia could be a home run for us. Well, I imagine, you know, with that type of exclusivity, I imagine it's going to be a great opportunity for you, but that just goes with the theme of how you guys are looking at strategic opportunities to grow. I mean, I remember reading the call notes from the earnings call that even the way that you're approaching California is you're not going to LA, San Francisco and going to those major markets where there is, you know, a built-in user base, but there's also, as I always call it, those are the bloody waters, right? Um, That it's not where you want to fight your battles. I talk about marketing all the time and, and, competing on social media and all that stuff. I'm going on a tangent here, but even the way that you guys are, are, it, it happens a lot on this show. Um, <laughs> even the way that you guys are, are focused on California, you're looking at areas that are limited within California itself. Right. Uh, you know, I, I've, I kind of like that because I think, you know, there is a built-in user base in California and there is, this is a weird product because it's a new industry that has an existing customer base. But I also think it's very important that our industry welcomes and brings in the rest of the general public because that's what's going to lead to legalization. That's what's going to lead to the end of the stigma. And that's going to lead to all the good things that are going to help this industry flourish. I like that it's not an in-your-face rec brand. As much as I love a lot of those guys and I follow them on Instagram and I love their products, but I love that it's not an in-your-face rec brand that is going into some of these markets. That's a very nice first impression for the cannabis industry to these people. Can you address how you're approaching California a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the I mentioned earlier that uh, we're opening up our first store in Santa Barbara uh, that later this month, early October. It's the perfect example of what we're looking for in a market. You have a market that is limited licenses. There's only three operators in total that can operate in Santa Barbara, two of which are operational today. We're the third. We're about 15 to 20 minutes. We're going to be in the northwestern portion of the city of Santa Barbara. The other two locations are close by each other in the, in the south, uh, southeast portion of the state. Uh, but Santa Barbara is a fantastic market. They have a firm handle on the illicit market. So that's another thing you're looking for. Not only do you have you know, a highly saturated, highly competitive markets in, in LA and San Francisco, but you're also competing against the unregulated illicit market as well. So you don't wanna to have to do that in these markets. So Santa Barbara is a great location. We also have, uh, we also won an application in Culver City. Uh, when again, once again, one of three to win an application and we're proceeding with that uh, application and gonna open up that asset uh, probably some, maybe hopefully in sometime in 2021. Again, limited license market, firm handle on the illicit market. Uh, that's what we're looking for. We're not going to compete against all the others in these highly saturated markets that not only are you competing against the regulated guys, you're also competing against the unregulated guys as well. So we like California a lot. Uh, but I think there's a lot of great opportunity to distress assets in that market. And we have a team embedded out there that that's all that they do. Very cool, man. Well, it all sounds super exciting. And I think one of the coolest parts that I saw from the earnings call too, was this latest round of financing that you guys did. Not because, listen, everyone, when they see that, they think, oh, they're, they're short on cash. People need to raise money again. No, this was actually people wanting to put more money into your company, at least how I read it. And I imagine as someone who has the role that you do, that's got to be music to your ears. Yeah, it's not only that. We had a lot of existing shareholders participate in this latest round. We have significant participation from insiders. 
So having insiders invest along with uh, external investors is a big deal. I think that that's what they want to see as well. We've we've raised since inception we about 220 million. 45 million has from been insiders founders, uh, which is just a huge number. So their interests. Our interests are aligned with your interests. We want to see the com- we want to see the company do as well as you do. Uh, so it, it was exciting, you know. From what's what's interesting in this industry is that you can't count on the traditional sources of capital that I have in the rest of my career. It's usually you call up a you know a J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs and they set up a bunch of meetings with some bigger players and you get the day, you get it done in a couple of days. That doesn't happen in this industry. It's really everything's bootstrapped. It's calling your contacts. Fortunately, our management team has, you know, the, the decades they've spent, they have a lot of great contacts that they know that were guys that have invested in each round along the way that we're able to essentially pull from. But it, it's bootstrapped. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. It's different from anything that I've gone through from, you know, from uh, investing uh, in capital. But uh, it's exciting. It's every day. It's like, who have you called? How much have you raised? And, uh, but uh it was interesting over the course of doing the, the most recent debt raise, we saw, we saw the tide changing in terms of how people were looking at cannabis. So the earlier part, it was a grind. But then towards the end of it, it was like, who didn't want to participate in at that point? And we actually had to shut it off and folks ultimately, uh, you know, some folks unfortunately missed out. But uh, it, it, was, it was pretty cool to go through that process. Uh, you know, for me, it was the first time, you know, doing that. Yeah, I mean, I actually see that in, in my own world here, which is hilarious to me because I have friends and they know that I do this show and they'll start asking me, hey, hey, what, what cannabis company should I buy? What stock should I buy? And I go, I don't know. I host a freaking podcast. Why don't you ask somebody in, in finance? So, um, yeah. you know, it's, it, people are asking whoever they can and apparently they're asking a podcast host these days whether or not they should buy a stock. Not smart yeah. investment advice, I would say. No. But I I, but I'm sentiment has changed. Which, yeah, but sentiments have been hey, changing over the last number of months, which is great to see. No, I'm definitely not giving out any investment advice on this show. Just like on the other <laughs> show, we always say that any of the legal advice we give out from Mr. Cannabis Law is not uh, something that you should take to heart and actually call him. So I'll make sure people know not to listen to me. They can listen to you. You, you do your job, but they should not listen to me. Um, listen, I, I am a fan. I like what you guys do. I would love, hopefully one day, maybe get to Illinois check out things in person. I know that's the only state where I can actually try your products. And that's almost why I thought you might say you like Illinois and say, Hey, I like Illinois because I can actually go and try our products. But um, right now, yeah, right now. Yeah. Yeah. But what, you know, you guys had a great first half of the year. What can we look forward to from Jushi that you can share for the rest of the year? Yeah. So we've provided third quarter and fourth quarter revenue guidance. Uh, once again, it's sequential growth through the balance of, the, of this year. We expect to almost get close to break-even profitability from an EBITDA perspective in the third quarter. We expect to be EBITDA pro- positive in the fourth quarter. So continued expansion, organic growth. We'll be adding a few new stores in the balance of this year. We have a number of stores in development that we expect to probably open probably closer to the first quarter. So a lot more activity. We have this uh, great acquisition, this grow process acquisition that we're essentially putting our touch on it, putting our people in place. It had been recently expanded from 20,000 square feet to 45,000 square feet. So getting that operational is something that we're really focused on. Uh, so yeah, we have plenty on our plate, a lot of tailwind at this point, a lot of good momentum. Uh, it should be an exciting back of the half a year for Jushi. 
That's awesome, man. That's got to be exciting, especially given the state of the world that you guys are, you know, you're deemed essential. You're putting medicine out into the world and you're having a whole lot of fun doing it. You've got a great team with you. Um, I've loved having you guys on the show and hopefully we'll do this again next quarter. Absolutely. Love to do it. Awesome, man. Is there anything else that we can help you promote? Um, how people can get a hold of you, websites, anything else? Yeah, my, my contact information is, uh, is splashed all over all the releases. So feel free to just uh, go to jushico.com, uh, go to the investor page. Uh, my contact information is there if you have any questions, any follow-ups, uh, any of your, uh, your listeners would like to learn a little bit more about the company. Sweet. Well, I definitely recommend everybody do that. Uh, these earning reports are great. If you guys want to learn about the industry and learn out the, the financial side of it and see who's healthy and who's not, I highly recommend reading them. Uh, you know, they might be a little advanced for some people, me included, but I think they're great sources of information and it's something definitely you want to pair with all the other news alerts that you get. Mike, thank you again for doing the show. We'll definitely sure. see you again soon. If not you, then somebody, another member of the Jushi team. We've enjoyed having all of you here. And thank you, everybody at home for watching. Uh, we are done for the week. But, of course, tune in on Friday at 1230 for the lab report. That's where we're going to go through the top headlines from the week. It, try to do it in about 15 minutes or less. And then also check out the recorded episodes that we dropped this week. Uh, this week, actually, your colleagues are on YouTube this week. So if you want to see Todd Green and Toby, we released them yesterday. Coincidentally, uh, we've got Todd Beckworth from Move and we've got Jeremy Jacobs from Enlightened. All phenomenal conversations, youtube.com slash elevate your grind. Uh, we are, we have to figure out when we're going live next week. So we'll let you know on Friday on the lab report. Thank you everybody for watching at home. This has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind and we are out.